Welcome to Red Inca. I'm Jared Kimber. This episode of Red Inca, we ask, can New Zealand win the World Cup? And for that, we get on an expert on Kiwi cricket. I'm Dylan Cleaver, and I'm a sports reporter who writes a Substack newsletter called The Bounce. We discuss what has happened to Lockie Ferguson, Kane Williamson's comeback, every single person who might bowl spin for them, Tim Southey's role, how the lack of beast might hurt them, and who their surprise opener might be this time. Uh, very good too. People should all go to the bounce, but I'm gonna if, I'm gonna start with a big one for you. Can New Zealand win the World Cup? Yeah, they can, but they have to have a hell of a lot of things go their way. They have to get yeah. yeah. No, I I think that's yeah. fair. Um, um, no, I was gonna say. I mean, uh, the part of the problem we're talking about New Zealand is that we generally underestimate them before World Cups. But I think if we had done proper analysis going into 2019, we probably would have said, especially once the wickets weren't as flat as everyone thought they were going to be, that New Zealand had a very, very good chance. A lot of the advantages they had in 2019, I would say they probably don't have as much right now. Um, you know, the, the, not having a second spinner that they can trust to bowl 10 overs and uh, you, um, not being as reliant on the new ball as they might be in India and all those sorts of little things, I think does drag them down a little bit. I think it's fair to underestimate them at this point. Yeah, I think I think you're right. This is kind of the last vestiges of the golden generation hanging on. I mean, if you go if you go through that squad, you've probably got eight, eight to nine, which are very little chance of playing another World Cup. So this is their swan song. Uh, you're right, the new ball is still going to be critical and you, you just have to hope that um, they get wickets, which is still conducive to taking wickets at the top because they can do that, right? Trent Bolt's come back in after a long absence and been incredible. Uh, Matt Henry, I think, is one of the most underrated bowlers in the world. If he can get a little bit of nip off the seam early, he's going to be He's, he's a handful on any sort of wicket. Tim Southey, mm, you know, he needs it to swing uh, to be effective in, in ODI cricket. Then you have a little bit of an issue. Lockie Ferguson is so out of form, it's not funny. Um, you've got Mitchell Santner, who's, uh, who's never been a wicket taker, but he's always been able to dry up and end. His um, economy, economy rate numbers are probably trending in the wrong direction. And as you mentioned, there's no second spinner that you can trust. There's a lot of junk spinners in there. Um, you can throw the ball to Mark Chapman. You can throw the ball to Glenn Phillips. East Sodi's barely played an ODI since the 2019 World Cup. Um, he, he seems to be a T20 specialist. As ironic as it sounds, he's going to have to get used to bowling longer spells in, in ODI cricket. And there's there's a young Ratchin Ravindra who, until a couple of years ago, you would have thought it was the um, going to be a part-time spinner uh, top order bat and part-time spinner, but it looks like they've tried to mould them into more of a genuine all-rounder. So, yeah, there, there are certainly issues, but that new ball attack is good enough to to put a few teams on their arse early. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And, you know, we've seen in the Asia Cup, which I know is not Indian conditions, but Asian conditions, new ball's still being important. You know, the Kookaburra balls have got the reinforced scene. We see Hardik Pandya bowling wobble balls that are impossible to play. So, that shouldn't be that New Zealand don't have any advantage, but it's not England, right? They're not going to have the same kind of advantage they did in the last World Cup. You mentioned a few different players there. 
and they're almost all on my list. So I love that, that you brought them all up. Lockie Ferguson is the one I want to start with because I think that Lockie Ferguson is perhaps the difference between New Zealand making the finals and bombing out of this tournament altogether because there is no real replacement uh, player who can do what he does. And at his absolute best, he's probably the most talented bowler, um, maybe from overs 10 to 40 outside of Bumra or Mitchell Stark in the world. Yep. Why? What has happened? It's just, it's not, it's not working, Dylan. It's, 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 it's actually horrible to watch him now. Yeah. Well, I don't think he's even really got that top end raw pace to fall on back on at the moment. It just seems to be, he's had a lot of niggles. He's had a lot of injuries, some of them more serious than others. I'm not sure he trusts himself at the moment. And it was a big blow. Adam Milne getting injured on the eve of the World Cup because that was a real 50-50 call. And I actually, I think over the past two years, Adam Milne's been a more effective bowler than Lockie Ferguson. Uh, Yeah, it's a a real tough one, and I am not sure he's actually playable at the moment. But what they have given him is they've given him the leadership, the captaincy of a Mm one-day squad to Bangladesh, uh, an otherwise utterly meaningless bilateral series that is shoehorned in at the strangest time, um, very similar to the T20 series. They sent them on just before the um, T20 Worlds in uh, the United Arab Emirates. And he really needs to find something there. He needs to find that 145 to 148K top-end pace that he can get to at his best. And just for his own confidence, he needs some wickets. He bowled that really good ball against Harry Brook that um, did a glove behind yeah. or get an edge, I can't remember, in, in Cardiff. And I remember that was early on in his spell. And I've seen this before. You've seen this in the IPL. Like, you bowl a couple of balls and you go, oh, that's just normal Lockie and maybe – and then it just doesn't seem to follow as much. And it, I think Milne has – when Milne has been fit, Milne's been one of the most exciting bowlers in the world. It's just that – it feels like Milner's fit for so few minutes of a, of a month. Uh, we get so little of it. But the other flip side of this is that Southie is, well, he's, was he captaining something? Re- Everyone's captain New Zealand of recent <laughs> time, so I'm so confused. But um, he, he's captain of the yes. test side. He's, you know, a really experienced player. He's played in World Cups before. He's been dominant in World Cups before. But the problem is if you put him into this side because Ferguson gets dropped because of form – then it's not like for like. And also I don't understand how the they've got three new ball bowlers. And I had a look, I think in the last couple of years, Southie's like, he's been going at over 10 runs and over in the last couple of overs of the innings when he's been bowling at the yes. death. And they've been very loud failures is the best way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, he's a bit of a conjurer, Tim Southie, in that he's he fools people into thinking he has been dominant in World Cups before. He was dominant against England at the Cape Tin. Yeah, well, one game. That's yeah. fair. <laughs> then the rest of that World Cup fell off. He was he was not a first choice player at the 2019 World Cup, and sure. everyone kind of thought he was finished. That that would be the format he dropped, and he had looked to, um, I guess, mobilise his skills for the T20 franchise game and continue to be a, a excellent Test player. But he had a bit of a resurgence actually, and I've got a lot of. Um, respect for Tim in the way that he's what he's 34 now and he's constantly looking to improve. He added a, a quarter seam ball, a three quarter seam ball. Uh, and the thing that I also have a, a grudging respect for him, but I really wish he wouldn't, is he d- 
demands, he puts his hand up and says, I want to bowl the overs at the death. I want to be the guy to take responsibility for keeping these, you know, powerhouse batting lineups under check. My issue with it, he's not particularly good at it. And at that pace, um, they tend to sit back in the crease and wait on his variation balls, which they know they're going to get. He's going to bowl, you know, perhaps one genuine out um, swinger at 135k in the over. The rest he's going to look to try and mix it up. They sit back in the crease and he is a little bit cannon fodder. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure what they do with Tim because um, if he plays, I don't think he should be bowling at the death. Should he bowl with a new ball? That's when you really want Matt Henry when the seam is pronounced to be bowling that opening. Trent Bolt's got to open. Is he just a middle of the overs, um, tie him down kind of guy? Is there even really a role for that these days? This is when you really want your Lockie Ferguson's, your peak form Lockie Ferguson's to be bowling and those overs 10 to 40. So there is some work to do there. Uh, I would back uh, Kane Williamson's smart guy. I think he knows how to get the most out of his troops. His one blind spot is Tim, where he's just lent on Tim throughout his whole career. If Tim says, hey, Skip, I need to be bowling in the death, he tends to throw him the ball. So they have got some figuring out to do there. I'm not sure what they do. I mean, will they go really radical and and bowl Santner at the death? Um, But again, I have a few issues with just, I think batters are figuring out Mitchell Santner more now than they used to. They used to be happy to play out as 10 overs, you know, one for 45. Uh, Mm. Nowadays they're going after him a little bit more and he's looked a little bit more vulnerable. Well, uh, we'll get to Santner, but I think one of the most interesting omissions from a team is Michael Bracewell because you could argue that Michael Bracewell's only had a handful of, you know, top performances. So he's not a very experienced player. He's still learning his off spin. And yet when you look at this New Zealand side, even if he might be the ninth guy picked uh, for this particular team, there might be eight players who are more automatic selections. He's so important. And the loss of him is has been huge, even if he wouldn't have had the kind of series where we saw him make 100 and you know rip through the odd wickets every now and again. The fact that he's not there kind of ruins the entire balance of that team a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It? He's actually become a, a pivotal figure in the in their white ball game. And uh, the reason for it is that his learning curve for his offspin has been phenomenal. Uh, the guy was wicked mm. keeper batter when he came into the first class scene. And actually, uh, um, during a lunch break in I think it was one of the test matches last year at Mount Monganui. I was sitting at the same table as John Bracewell, and obviously caveat here, he's he's his uncle. But uh, mm. John was talking about how uh, just the sharp, the sharpness of his learning curve. He couldn't get over what a good bowler he was becoming. He said he's still going to have his bad sessions, his bad spells, and we actually saw it in that series, test series against England where when he was really needed, he, he struggled a little bit. But, yeah, he was, yeah, look, you mentioned ninth picked. He was probably one of the first picked, actually, for this for this World Cup. Oh, by the end. Yeah. But what I mean is, like, it's a, it's a short period of time he's been that person. We're not talking – like, if you compare it to someone like Rassi van der Dussen, right, who's been in the South African team for years, Rassi doesn't make that World Cup. Everyone would be like, oh, well, they've got another yes. kind of Rassi situation. And Rassi was – you know, maybe third or fourth picked in that team quite regularly. Whereas Bracewell, 
Like for this World Cup, you could you could make the argument. I suppose what I'm saying is you could make the argument that he was the most important player for this yeah. World Cup coming in because of the unique skills to be able to spin the ball and also you know they call him the beast, right? Like because he whacks the hell out of it. Yeah. Um, and this has all come together very very late. I mean, he's had it. I think he even his batting has developed quite a lot from when I first saw him play. Um, he's such a special player, and people probably won't look back and think that this was was a big loss, but I think it's a massive loss. Yeah, it is a massive loss. He can hit sixes from ball one and he's a phenomenal fielder in the circle or on the boundary. So, yeah, it's a it's a real shame. Uh, how have they tried to replace him? I guess they've tried to replace him with Mark Chapman, who's got real skills as a, as a batter. And, again, they're probably looking at him as a guy that can come in and score quickly against spin from ball one, which is not easy when you've grown up playing in New Zealand. Um, Rich and Ravindra, uh, again, we're talking left-arm orthodox um, here rather than the right-arm offspin that um, Bracewell would have offered. Jeepers, I'm not sure he's played 30 list A games, let alone 30 ODIs. Um, I remember talking to Shane Bond and he always said, I played 30 ODI games, that's when I worked out how to play one-day international cricket. Retchen is, I, I think he might have played 20-odd list A games. So asking a lot of him, I, I suspect we won't see a lot of him in the playing 11 in this tournament. So, yeah, in, in a way, he's he's been irreplaceable. Well, the other problem is that, you know, you, you talk about, you know, Chappie and, and Ratchin, they're both left-arm finger spinners, which Santa is as yes. well. So realistically, at this stage, I would say that Glenn Phillips is going to have to bowl four to five overs a game. And Glenn Phillips, I think he's sort of person that if you said to Glenn Phillips, could you, you know, could you uh, take this um, motor apart and put it back together with your teeth? He'd be like, I'll have a go yeah. at that. <laughs> and, and I'm sure he'll do well. And, you know, he is that sort of incredibly t- naturally talented person. Mm. But that is... That's a huge step forward. But let's just talk about Santner because he's the kind of the, the most important part of this. If you look at Santner coming into the 2019 World Cup, he actually was a pretty decent wicket taker, especially between overs 10, uh, 10 to 40, which is when you want him to be a pretty decent wicket yeah. taker. In the last two years, he's been averaging 50 in those. And you talk about the economy. He's not as tight as he used to be. Still a very clever bowler and and you know, we know he can bat a little bit and, you know, he's a decent athlete at times in the field and all those sorts of things. But the problem is that if you look at Australia, they're going to be going with probably Zamper and Agar. England are going to be going with Moen Ali and Adil Rashid. South Africa are going to be going with Tabri Shamsi and Maharaj, which is probably the best partnership of all those ones I just mentioned. Compared to that, Santna and the various names that we've just thrown in there, and we'll get to Ratchin even more specifically in a moment. It's a huge ask for New Zealand to be successful in a World Cup in India with if, if Santa is on a bit of a slide. If he can't take wickets or keep it very, very low with the economy, I'm not sure how they can keep enough pressure on other teams through that middle period. Yeah. Yep. You've just nailed the biggest problem they've got. Uh, and Glenn Phillips is probably going to be important. Because he is the variation, he is the guy that can turn it away from the left-handed power hitters for stumpings, and he is the guy that can dart it into leg stump to the to the right-handers and, and stack your leg side field. Is he good enough to be able to do that um, consistently? No, he's not yet. And so the pressure does, as you mentioned, it, the pressure is massively on Mitchell Santner. Look, he's a very good cricketer. He's a very clever cricketer. 
it's probably in the conditions where he is expected to be the most effective. Um, he plays a lot of white sure. ball cricket in New Zealand, where if it turns off the straight, it's a it's a miracle, right? So he's he has become that. He has become that. He's bowled well in the IPL. Yeah, he does well. bowl well in the IPL. Uh, and look, the wicket taking, uh, lack of wicket taking, can be kind of that Daniel Vittori effect, where. Um, you knew he was going to be the guy that bowled consistent uh, 60 balls and you're happy to get through those 60 balls at one for 45. Uh, now, like it's changed a little bit. People are going after him a little bit more. He hasn't adapted as well as Daniel Vittori did yet. But, uh, I mean, he's in his peak years now. So if you're the optimist... You're saying Mitchell Santner is going to come right at this World Cup. He is going to be New Zealand's key bowler through those middle orders. If you're the pessimist, which I tend to be, you say, oh, he's actually just lately there's signs that people might have figured him out. But but you are right. He is that key guy. You know, New Zealand's World Cup campaign probably goes with Mitchell Santner. So I've got a lot of friends who who talk up Ratchan Ravindra. Um, Bayram just tried to do it on a podcast I did two minutes before you came on where he said he took four for at Lords, And I was like, yeah, but I saw him bowl eight half-trackers yeah. um, at was it Cardiff or Southampton. I can't remember. Some, somewhere not London that I was at. Um, you know, and he did, did take wickets at times. I thought he bowled really well in the Test Series in India. But it, when I watch him bowl with a white ball, it, it almost looks like at times the ball gets stuck in his fingers a little bit and he can't get it out. And I didn't think England played him particularly well, partly because they were trying to attack him so much they almost weren't waiting for the half-tracker, yeah. which is probably what you had to do in that series. He's 23. He's a batter. I mean, we've already, Glenn Phillips is a wicketkeeper. Bracewell was a wicketkeeper. Chappie's a batter. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of pressure being put on a lot of guys um, who have even more experience than him. He doesn't have the experience what is a realistic amount of overs do you think they can get out of him a game? I'm thinking if they got four overs of, you know, decent bowling out of him, there might be games where he bowls eight overs and there might be games where he bowls one or two or, or not at all. But if they got four overs a game without him getting hammered, I would see that as a win. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think I mentioned it before, but I'm not expecting him to get the big games. Uh, this might be a little bit of a, hey, this guy's pivotal to us post-Golden Generation era let's get him to a World Cup and, and have him in the environment and so he knows what to do. But he's just such a curious cricketer in that it was only very recently when he was seen as our next test opener. Like that, that's what he does for Wellington. He opens the batting in first-class cricket. He has shown a, he's still a bit of a um, hundred-or-nothing man in first-class cricket, but he has shown that when he gets in, he can bat a lot of time. But just in the last kind of 12 months, it's like, New Zealand cricket's high-performance team have decided, hey, this guy can be a, a lower-to-middle-order slogger, uh, which is, you know, he's getting a few balls in T20 cricket, asked to come in and hit sixes immediately. It's like they're trying to develop his game to be more expansive through the white ball game. It's just too early at this World Cup, I think, for him to be a really effective uh, batter, lower-middle-order batter. So they are. They, they're probably looking for more than three or four overs if they do play him. They're probably looking for him to be... I, I think they're yeah. going to have to, but I'm not sure they'll get more than that out of him. I mean, was it the game at uh, was the game at Southampton where he only bowled two overs and got yeah. hit hit out of that the attack? That was a shortened game, um, so that, it was the pressure was on big time in that game. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, of course, of course. But he didn't. It didn't look like he had anything to go to once they attacked him. No. Um, and and the confidence of giving him the ball. So Ishtod is the other option, of course. You've watched a lot more of Ishodi than I have, and I would say the majority of the time I've seen him play would be in T20 cricket. I think Ishodi is one of those wrist spinners who is very, very good when you're coming at him yeah. very hard. One day cricket, you can milk him, and I'm not sure he's as handy in those situations. So obviously in the UAE, in, in the T20 World Cup, you know, he had some very good moments, and, you know, he's played IPL cricket. We know how good he is. But in one day cricket, I just feel that teams will wait for him a little bit more. Yeah, and look, he's played 15 ODIs since the 2019 World Cup. So he's barely played ODI cricket. Uh, yeah, he's, a, he's a curious bowler um, who tends to not make the most of his natural advantage, which has been very tall. He bowls very low and because he likes to slide it on. He bowls a lot of um, top spinners and kind of half-pie googlies, where I guess the worry is that if you can wait for him, you soon realise he doesn't bowl a lot of leg spinners. So, again, you sit back and you wait on his variations. He will give you a half-tracker every over or two. Um, it's, a, it's a bold selection. I guess in, yeah, in one way it's an obvious selection. He's probably suited to um, the conditions. He's experienced. You get him around a lot of those younger spinners, although he bowls wrist spin where the others are all finger spinners. He can be a calming influence. Again, I'm... <sighs> I'm just not sure how how much of the big sap he's going to play mm. because I, I, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, that's an interesting yeah. one. If they have picked him and Ravindra and neither of them will play, it's a really, really interesting call from that point of view. Uh, uh, shout out to any of those who remember that Ishodi once didn't play in the IPL because he was play at development coach when he was like 27 or 28. That, that made me think he was 35. I had to look up his age afterwards to check. Um, we, we talked about the spin. I, the only reason I'm fascinated in the spin is because they've, picked so many random options and we don't know how it's going to go together. Netherlands is the other team that have just like, we're just going to have like five guys in the team who can bowl spin and maybe something will happen. And New Zealand's in a very similar situation. Um, What was the biggest surprise in the selection? Is it Finn Allen not making it? Only in that they did seem to invest so much in his development that it appeared that he was a lock to make it. I I mean, I do a cricket podcast with a a couple of um, colleagues and a week before the squad was named, we were still saying, no, they can't drop them. I mean, they've just gone too far down the Fennellan Road now to suddenly yeah. say, hey, that's not a uh, that's not going to work for us. So, yeah, that was a surprise. But um, if you look at it perhaps a little bit more cold-heartedly, he'd been given a lot of opportunities and hadn't improved. That was the worry with him. He was still playing exactly the same way as he played when he first got picked, Was which is an exciting guy who likes to hit the cover off every single ball that's bowled. I really think this summer at home is a big one for him. They need to see that Finn Allen, when things are not going his way, can tuck a ball off his hip behind square for one, can run a ball down to third man for one. He, he's shown no um, inclination to do that so far. So he's just too easy to get out. So it was surprising that they'd gone so far down the road before they pulled out. But if you look at it just from a pure what you're expecting to get out of someone at a World Cup, it probably made sense. I guess the tricky thing is that at the moment the replacement is is Will Young, who is such a nice player to watch, such a classy player to watch, but who has really only scored runs against Netherlands in his one-day career so far. So 
again, not a guy that you can look at and say, yeah, he's going to he's gonna average 35, 40 during the tournament at a strike rate of 90 and, and get the side up to a good start. So that was a little bit of surprise. The other surprise um, is everyone probably thought James Neesham wouldn't be seen in an ODI again. Again, another guy that's barely played an ODI since the heartbreak that he that he suffered in the 2019 final. Uh, there's constant, and I'm talking across one day in test format here. Um, when Colin went walkabout, Colin de Grandholm went walkabout, there's suddenly this rush to find a guy that can be that four-seamer, that can bowl swing and, and at a decent but not a pace that's ever going to scare you, but at a pace that's high enough for it to make the batsman think and who can slog sixes. James Neesham is clearly the guy that they're trying to put into the Colin de Grandholm box for this tournament. There's a couple of issues with that. He's never had an economy rate to match Colin de Grandholm, and I don't think he has got past 36 in an ODI in this World Cup cycle. So... They're asking a lot of paid actor portrayal. I didn't see it coming. Life can be so unpredictable. After losing my dad, it made me think about my family if something were to happen to me. The mortgage, car payments, and all the other bills. Even things like our annual summer vacation would be out of reach. I had heard about life insurance through Ethos and how easy it was to get coverage. They were right. I knew it was time to stop putting it off and get life insurance right now. I got on my computer and went to ethoslife.com. In just 10 minutes, I was covered, and boom, family protected. Thanks to Ethos, my family won't have to worry about the bills if the unpredictable happens to me. Ethos, fast and easy online term life insurance. Up to $2 million in coverage with no medical exam. Some policies as low as a dollar a day. Answer a few health questions and get your free quote at ethoslife.com audio. That's E-T-H-O-S-Life dot com slash audio. I mean, he pro- I mean, I know the Grandhom's obviously the player he's replacing, but also if Bracewell was fit, would he be in the side, do you think? Uh, well, w- I should say, would he be in the squad? Maybe, because if, if Bracewell was in the squad, I'm thinking probably it's more likely Ratchin Ravindra wouldn't be. Yeah, you're yeah. right. So it's hard to say. I mean... Their plan with Jimmy Neesham is either a very cunning plan or it's a, holy heck, where's our DeGrandholm? Let's, let's drag Jimmy Neesham back into the fold. Uh, it's really hard to tell. Uh, but I actually suspect he'll play a lot. Really? I mean, I actually, I think in my lineup, I had him as, I suppose, depends on where they, whether they think Chapman should bat at six. Yeah. Um, ahead of him is the only only option I would have had uh, from that point of view. I, I think Nisham's in again. You go back to the 2019 World Cup and you think, well, that's a decent player to have in that position. And you know, there were some times in that tournament when he got pitches that helped him, where he bowled really, really well. But by his own admission, he's not anywhere near a frontline bowler. And in one-day cricket, he doesn't really bat long all that often. It's almost like the idea of Jimmy Neesham is slightly better, especially in one-day cricket, the idea of Jimmy Neesham is actually better than the reality. And, that, you know, it takes us back to, to Finn Allen as well. And and the Will Young decision, that feels like a very, I'm not saying Kane Williamson was selected, but it feels like a very Kane Williamson selection of, 
Well, okay, if we're not going to go with the very attacking or the over-attacking in this case, Finn Allen, what we'll do is we'll just get another guy who's a good bat, who's been to Asia before. Yeah. Um, he's made some runs over, not, not in white ball cricket, but obviously in, in other forms of cricket, made runs against Sri Lanka. And, you know, as you said, most of his runs were against Netherlands. Mm. But, um, you know, a decent player. But that feels like a sort of more... Uh, traditional New Zealand thing of, well, if we can score between 280 and 320, 330 regularly, yeah. then we've got the new ball bowling to occasionally um, take some wickets. Um, so it's, it's not a horrendous one with, with Will Young. Um, can Ravindra, this is, I don't know because I haven't seen him play list A cricket outside of the one days he just played against England. Can he open? Is he a backup opening? Sure, I know Chapman has opened before in T20 cricket. I don't know if he has in the one day team. Yeah, there was a, there was a crazy rumour flying around actually that Chapman may even be the frontline opener. He may be the wild card that they pull out at the last minute and say so they'd open with Con. The, the, the Daryl Mitchell from the T20 World exactly. Cup in UAE, exactly. right? So you'd open with two lefties with Conway and um, Chapman. I can't see that, but yeah, there was a couple of people that were mentioning that might be the case. I think he would be the next choice. I don't think they'd put that much pressure on Ravindra, who's like I said, as a Red Bull opener, but um, mm. yeah, I mean, it's, Ravindra is curious. We, we just haven't seen enough of him in white ball cricket to really, to really know what he's about. Uh, the, this series mm. in England um, was quite fascinating, but for a lot of New Zealanders, even your most passionate cricket followers, it happened in the middle of the night. Uh, so most people are tending to watch the the 20-minute highlight package the next day. So we didn't – a lot of us probably didn't see as much as, as we would have wanted to, to know whether, you know, he's a serious chance of playing a lot at, at the World Cup. I remember we did – I did the commentary for SENZ and when he took the – I must have been the three wickets at Cardiff – I said, a lot of you are going to wake up and see his figures and go, Ravindra's had a good day. I need you to know and to tell your friends that this did not happen. <laughs> figures have absolutely flattered him. So, and, and the four wickets at Lords as well. Yeah. There's a lot of talent there. We're, we're not saying that, but it's a huge step up, as, as you said, to suddenly throw him at the top of the order. Um, the, the other question I have is, emotionally, I don't think from a cricket perspective, Kane Williamson changes the one-day team massively, although if you're chasing you know, 310 and you have four wickets down. Kane Williamson being there is quite um, important. But emotionally, Kane Williamson, and as you said, there's a bit of last dance about this. It's quite an important thing for him to be fit. We know that the elbow's been such an issue and then the knee was such an issue, all these different things. It's huge to have him back, especially that Ross Taylor's not around. Yeah, yeah, I think he's incredibly important. I do actually think he's really important to their batting lineup too because the way they've built, the way they play one-day cricket, is around that kind of top order player sure. that can bat a long time, and then you hope that your your Mitchells and your Phillips come off, but you really need your Conway or your your Williamson to bat long. And look, I'm pretty sure I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure he averages um, late forties. Uh, he doesn't score as slowly as people think, and in fact, occasionally he he can score quite quickly. A little bit like Will Young in that respect. I think sometimes people underestimate how quickly Will Young can score. Uh, and, yes, yeah, Skipper. I think that, yeah, there is a definite emotional uh, pull there that things just feel better when Kane Williamson's in the team. You can't deny that. But I also think that from a purely cricketing perspective, New Zealand are a better team, a much better team when he plays 
Yeah. No, no, you're right about the batting. But I kind of feel that maybe I've just been lulled, but of recent times it feels like New Zealand can kind of always find someone who can make a decent amount of runs and build around him. Um, I mean, his problem in his problems in white ball cricket are more T20 oriented because it just takes him so long to get going. One day cricket is not quite the case. And as I said, you're chasing three, 310 and you lose four wickets. Kane Williamson's basically the player, almost in world cricket, that you would want um, to be out there more often than not. All right, final one, bit of, bit of a hypothetical, well, a huge hypothetical, but an optimistic one, so it may not be for you. If I told you that, if I, if I came back from the future and I told you that New Zealand had won this tournament, what do you think would have had to have happened for them to win? They would have had to have won a lot of tosses and got the best use of the bowling conditions. Matt Henry would have to be tournament top wicket taker in a tournament that surprised everyone for how... Um, helpful it was to seem bowling and <laughs> that's Kane fair. Williamson would have had to have had mirrored his 2019 Cricket World Cup where he was phenomenal where he was you know him and Shaky Balasan were probably the, the batters of the tournament it's, it's a bore no that yeah, makes it's, sense it's boring but seam bowling and Kane Williamson remain New Zealand's key to victory with key contributions from Daryl Mitchell yeah, I, I, we haven't talked about Darren Mitchell. I think he's really interesting. The only thing I would add is that I would think if they've won the tournament, Lockie Ferguson would have made some kind of a comeback. Maybe, you know, maybe he's not the bowler of the tournament or anything. And, you know, Matt Henry or Trent Bolt taking the most wickets makes sense. But I don't know if they could control those middle overs. I, Lockie Ferguson was so good in, in, you know, in one day cricket in those middle periods. Um, I thought he was becoming the best bowler in the world in that period. Uh, and Daryl Mitchell obviously absolutely slaughtered England uh, in one of those games the other day and was brilliant in the UAE as well. And there's a part of me that thinks that there's nothing that Daryl Mitchell can't do. Um, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, though. Thank you for having me, Jared. It's been it's been a lot of fun, and um, yeah, I feel really in World Cup mode now. No, I will get you back. Excellent. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Sainapayi and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. 